0: Honored, We're honored that you took the time to be here and that, um, that you feel like that there's going to be some um, benefit to your spiritual soul as a result of being here as well as to enjoying the good food for our bodies and, and we are very grateful. Let's give Connie a hand for that lunch today. <clears throat> Well, I usually get up here and introduce the, sp- the person who's going to introduce the speaker, but um, you know me already, and Prelo asked me to do his introduction, and uh, I don't know that I've done one, and um, I-, I primarily know Prelo through um, either having a beer together or a burger together over at the Blind Tiger, and um, so um, and reading his stuff and uh, and discussing. Uh, God from time to time, but I didn't grow up with him, and there are folks here who did and who have been on some adventures. So, if you want to find out that kind of stuff, then see see John over here, or where's Gator? Wait. Gator's right here, yeah, a- afterwards, and they'll give you the real scoop. I'm gonna give you the, the sterilized version here, okay? So, anyway, um, you've, you may have seen the posters, I don't know, but um. I want to start with this. This is the book that came out, what, less than a year ago? About a year ago. About a year ago, called Dispatches Along the Way. And the subtitle of the book is An American Humorist Staggers Across Spain in Pursuit of Happiness, Truth, and a Cold Beer. And if that title doesn't get you to buy the book, I don't know what will. But I can tell you this, um, there are, there's a, a box of them out here. It's all set up, it's a self-serve, you get your book, you pay for it the way Prelo has left instructions for afterwards, but um, not only do I recommend you buy one, I am recommend you buy one to give to somebody, too, that you want to um, bless with a lot of belly laughing. I think I belly laughed more reading this book, and, and probably the best time is when you're not feeling good and you need a belly laugh, just get the book out and start reading it. It 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 will stun you, the um, the things that the way he puts things and the things that are true that are happening that turn out to be um, I don't know. Remember Dave Barry in the paper? How Dave Barry? It's it's that kind of stuff where it's just absolutely crazy. So anyhow, um, those are available to you if you'd like to try. Um, now, we were sitting there at the table talking about Prelo a little bit. And I just want to just give you one or two things. Prelo went to Auburn. Right, right. And and Auburn has been trying and trying and trying to win football games and not succeeding. But, boy, let me tell you, the basketball team is in the Final Four this year, and and that's pretty amazing. And I think we're going to hear more about that a little later, too. So... Uh, We'll see how that goes. Maybe there might be some cheers or something in here before it's all over with. Um, I don't know. Just just one of the most interesting people I've I've ever gotten to know. Um, And and one of the things he sent me that I did not know, he's a skydiver, or he was. And um, yet, just just if you if you were going to guess about somebody skydiving, how many skydives would you guess Prelo has done? Well, he did 25. And the question I have is, why did you do that? <laughs> I mean, I'm a pilot. And, and my, my view of things is, you know, why would anybody jump out of a perfectly good airplane? I mean, that's just insane to do that. So anyway, so, so for the man who is insane enough to jump out of an airplane 25 times, uh, give him your welcome as he comes and shares with us. <laughs>
1: Thank you, Hank. Uh, When uh, I I spoke to this group probably 10 years ago, and uh, and I sent Hank the picture that's on the poster. I was working at the cathedral at the time, and our parish administrator said, uh, Palo, that's not a very good likeness of you. You look sort of like a ragamuffin. So I decided to get a haircut for you gentlemen it's kind of a big deal Um, so what am I here to talk about today Uh, the last decade for me has been a beating Um, I won't bore you with the details but on several occasions I've in my prayer time said uh, I got I I get it I'm, I'm humble enough I swear I've achieved the level of humility you're looking for. And then I'd say another time, God, it's me, Captain Humble, I've got got the message. Um, And I couldn't figure out uh, during this 10 years why um, my life had turned out so differently than I expected. Um, And I thought and I thought and I nailed it down and it came back to, the speech from my senior year in college, graduation speech. And uh, you know the one, follow your dreams, you can be anything, blah, blah, blah. What a bunch of (laughs) So at, at 54, I realized that graduation speeches are often a bit exaggerated. So I wrote one that I thought was appropriate. Class of 85, college is over. And you're about to find out why your parents drink. (laughs) The life you're bound for is hard. Not hard like you're thinking. You think getting a degree in beer drinking was hard. Now, think of adult life as a game. It's a game where you're in a 50-year face-punching contest with Mike Tyson. And you get to pay the government every time he knocks you out. The good news, class, is that all bleeding eventually stops. Says you move forward in life and fail, fail with gusto. I didn't recall this being part of the American dream. Uh, But while enduring this this season in my life, I thought there there got to be people going through the same thing. And so that took me down the rabbit hole of what is happiness? How do we achieve it? What is, what is the source of it? And yes, I know as Christians, we're supposed to say Jesus is the source of happiness. Well, for me, Jesus is a source of hope, um, hope for the eternal, hope that there will be a final justice. Um, and I think that hope is more important than happiness. So I was sort of struggling with that. I mean, you know, a lot of people find faith and they're, I'm filled with joy. And that just wasn't, that wasn't what was happening with me. Um, so when I was a kid, my mom was frequently telling me to go for a walk, right? Mom, I'm bored, go for a walk. I hated that, man. Mom, I'm hungry, eat an apple. I don't want an apple. But. During this time, uh, in the depths of where I was, I decided to listen to my mom and go on a walk and uh, think the issue through. I chose to walk across northern Spain on the Camino de Santiago. I hadn't written a book in a while, so the pursuit of happiness seemed a worthy topic and uh, walking a couple hundred miles seemed like it would be a good backdrop. Oddly enough, before I left, uh, God really bonked me on the head, and he said, uh, okay, you've written enough goofy, just for fun stuff, so how about do something with some significance? And, you know, it was God, so I decided I'd include him in the book. And, uh, and that my ponderings would include both the pursuit of happiness and theological truth. Um, now, I've been writing about religion, some might say heretically, for uh, going on 20 years for my boss, Charles Waring. And I tried to use humor. Um, and so that part of addressing theological truths didn't seem like it would be uh, that, that hard. And then I thought, well, actually, I can use the book to lure people in, to trick them into reading some 101 apologetics. Uh, And I've had some funny remarks uh, about that. It's been effective on a few occasions. So uh, as I mentioned, uh, the path that I chose to walk was the Camino de Santiago, uh, and I'll give you some background. Are there any of our fellow Roman Catholics here? We got one, we got two, all right. Well, my office mate rob salvo is a mackerel snapper and uh, so in our conversations i've learned that i'm about 50 percent catholic and we catholics love miracles so there's some miracles in this story Uh, the story of the camino de santiago started when uh, king agrippa beheaded the apostle saint james in the holy land and then for some reason uh, saint james head was buried in the Holy Land, and then they, they put his body on a rudderless ship. <clears throat> the ship was uh, led by an angel, or an angel with a couple of disciples, or a regular crew who didn't understand why their passenger had no head. You know, accounts vary. Uh, the boat ended up on the uh, shore of Galatia in northwest Spain, where James was either entombed or buried or melted into a rock. Accounts vary. 800 years later, a shepherd or a hermit or some dude discovered St. James's tomb. He went and told the bishop. The bishop came and confirmed that it was indeed St. James's body. Now, never having worked for a CSI unit, I can't say for sure how you identify an 800-year-old body with no head, but, uh, but there you have it, the bishop was sure. Now, in the, Ma- in the Middle Ages, having relics was a big deal, right? So now here's Spain sitting on 80% of an apostle's body. This is big news. So the king, being the head of the Spanish Convention Visitors Bureau, decided to declare St. James the patron saint of Spain. And he got the Pope to throw in a plenary indulgence for anybody who made the pilgrimage. And a plenary indulgence is when you get to totally defrag your sin drive. So it's, it's a big deal amongst us, uh, us Catholics. So millions, uh, millions of peasants from around Europe made this pilgrimage. They were coming from as far north as, uh, as Belgium. The only other way to get a plenary indulgence was to walk to Rome or uh, walk to the Holy Land. And I wouldn't do either, even for a plenary indulgence. Um, peasants were very peasanty, so uh, all they had was the clothes on their back. And so churches sprang up along the way to help the pilgrims. And where churches spring up, collection plates spring up. And where collection plates spring up, towns spring up. So you had this whole uh, rural system of towns going from France to, uh, to Santiago. Um, the, the pilgrimage was huge until the plague hit in the Middle Ages and you know, pretty much killed everybody so the pilgrimage sort of died off. And, uh, but in the 60s it was rediscovered and the pilgrims are back with a vengeance. Okay. Sorry about that, on to the walk. Uh, when you start off on a three week walk, you know, you're gonna have some revelations uh, and the first one is usually, I packed way too much stuff. Um, but once you come to grips with the fact that you packed too much and your feet are gonna hurt for the next three weeks, you start to understand how freeing it is. Email's gone, phone is gone, and text is pretty much your only communication. If The wife calls and says, your car got stolen. Well, that's it. There's nothing you can do about it. Uh, It just is what it is, right? You just keep walking with everything you own on your back. Uh, And it doesn't feel like a vacation sitting on the beach and checking your email before dinner. I mean, you're on the other side of the moon when you're walking through rural northern Spain. Uh, A lot of the people I talked to thought I was nuts because fairly on in our conversations, uh, I would ask, what do you think is the secret to happiness? And I got some great answers and I got some stupid answers, but the two that stick out in my mind came fairly early in the trip and they laid a base for the discoveries, revolutions I would make later on. Uh, I met an Aussie, who I asked, what is the secret to happiness? And he said, someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And that, to me, just sort of rocked me. Someone to love, something to do, something to look forward to. Uh, I met an African, and we talked about uh, the same topic, and we were talking about poverty in Africa. And he said, "Well, in Africa, people are pretty happy. But it's because our poor think about how much more they have than nothing. And in the West, we think about how much less we have than everything. Uh, and that's that also sort of sort of rocked uh, my thinking." Uh, As I walked to the Camino, I began to notice some huge cultural differences between very rural Spain and the life that you and I live. Uh, For instance, when I stagger into a small town, uh, you come over this 2,000-year-old Roman bridge and inevitably you would run into poor people apartments overlooking the water. And there's laundry you know hanging from their from their railings and i thought poor people aren't allowed to own waterfront property and why is their laundry hanging why don't they buy a a washer and a dryer i could develop this place i could bulldoze this stuff and put in beautiful condominiums and crank up the economy and and bring in tax base and ruin it and that's what we Americans are here to do. Um, I'd be walking along a long stretch of road and I would think to myself, you know, I could really do for a Gatorade and a banana, but there were no entrepreneurs out there selling Gatorades and bananas or Five Hour Energies or better yet, beer. I, I ran, in 225 miles, I ran into one person with a, uh, a s- side-of-the-path selling effort. And so as an American, of course, I thought, well, they're just lazy. You know, they're all, there's all this opportunity out there, and uh, they're not seizing it. And the longer I was in Spain, the more I noticed these oddities. Uh, every evening, I would sit out by the City Plaza and everyone, and I mean everyone in the town, came out to the plaza. Every town has one. Wherever you lived, you were in the plaza. And uh, the kids ran around like wild Indians. uh, And the parents and the grandparents sat at a table and drank wine and coffee and chatted. And there wasn't a phone in sight. Thinking, how can they live without political hatred, and, uh, you know, celebrity gossip, and uh, breaking headlines about stuff that doesn't matter. Um, Another thing I noticed in these small towns was you would never see fashionable clothes. You would never see nice cars. And I couldn't, you know, it was just weird, even among the teenagers. You know, that's what teenagers are here for is to wine and consume. And I didn't see that. And uh, you know that supposed siesta where the Frito Bandito takes a nap in the shade? It's real. From three to five, that, those towns are shut down. It's a ghost town. It is a bad time to come staggering in because it looks like you know a, a set from The Walking Dead. So, so what's going on here? right? Are, are these Spaniards doing everything wrong and we Americans are doing everything right? And if that's the case, why do they seem so happy in their simplicity and so many Americans are unhappy with their bounty? And as this stuff started to sink in, uh, I started to wrestle with it from a a Christian perspective because, like y'all, that's sort of the lens through which I view deeper issues. Uh, And I noticed that my other pilgrims along for this walk, right, I'd, I'd walk for a day and then I'd spend a day in a town and drink beer and eat tapas and explore around and then I'd walk for a couple of days and... And I'd stop, and these guys, uh, very international, mostly upper middle class, but they were there to finish that walk. They had 32 days on ground, they'd mapped it out, it's going to take me 32 days to walk it, and my flight flies out the next day. And, you know, I, I never intended to walk the whole thing, I'm, I'm not that stupid, but... But why trade the experience for the T-shirt that says, I walked the whole Camino and I was miserable and I finished it in my 32 days. That uh, it, it never ceased to amaze me. I, 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 and I wondered, is there, is there a Jesus message in this that I'm seeing in these Spanish towns and, and what I'm witnessing in these pilgrims that are there to march until they finish it? And so I would, what the conclusion I came to is is if this pilgrimage was an analogy for life, we shouldn't be grinding out the Camino in 32 days. We should listen to Jesus, turn around and walk in the other direction and smell the wheat fields, enjoy the breeze, relax in a plaza and drink wine sit by a piece of the river that isn't owned and fenced off by someone rich, and we should pack lighter so that we can explore more. If you got too much stuff on your back, believe me, you're looking for a way to take one less step. Um, before it was over, God, bonked me on the head again, and his message was, hello, yo-yo. Jesus talked about this about 20 times. Be content. Stop buying stuff. Sell it, give it away. Lighten your yoke. And as a small aside, if you lighten your load, and you lighten the amount of stress in your life, makes it that much easier to follow him. This doesn't mean I think that we shouldn't strive for success and love our work and provide as much as we can to give our children wonderful lives. Please do not think uh, that that's what I'm saying. Uh, David Graham's wife brought up to, uh, to David and they were talking about the book and she said, well you know the, the big message is complacency and <laughs> obviously contentment not complacency. So I, d- I don't think that, that in any way shape or form contentment is uh, something that says don't charge forward. Um, but I'm a black and white guy and I've always believed that the opposite of despair is joy right and for so many years when things were not going my way I was thinking well I'm in despair because I got no joy Uh, but then I on the Camino I came to understand that the opposite of despair is not joy the opposite of despair is contentment. And when you are content, you are de facto happy. Um, I think that's why all these middle-class Spaniards are so happy. They uh, they just don't care about the things that we are so obsessed with in America. Uh, and once you you come to grips with, you know, when you're 55, I'm 56, you're pretty much who you're going to be, right? And so there's no point in kicking yourself and saying, why didn't I do this? Why can't I get that? Why can't I get that done? Um, It's... Don't be complacent, but but be content. Um, The good news is that every single person here uh, can achieve contentment today because contentment is a choice. Uh, We chase happiness, but contentment, you can choose to be, and you could choose to be when you walk out of here, Uh, just like you choose Jesus, you choose to have faith. I'm going to take the leap. You can choose to be content with what you are and who you are and what you have. I mean, think about Eden. Uh, Eden was designed so that Adam and Eve would be content, right? They didn't have to do anything except eat and, and revel in God's creation. Of course, the woman messed that up, but. That's a different issue. Uh, So today, you can say, I have enough, and enough is enough. Um, I'd like to say, mark my words on that, but they are not my words. Uh, Jesus said them a couple thousand years ago. Thank you very much.